Thank you for tuning in. We'll get to your program right after this short word from our sponsor. In your company, a challenge? Are you battling turnover and struggling to draw key talent? Is your team not performing at the level you want? Problems present themselves through conflict, miscommunication, creative differences, unclear expectations, and motivational issues. ARC Integrated is here to address these challenges through executive coaching and customized interactive trainings. Create lasting positive change that will improve your bottom line and create a culture that attracts talent and reduces turnover by going to arcintegrated.com. That's arcintegrated.com. What if investing in each other could change the world? I'm Joel Skeen with bizradio.us, and this is the Mindful Marketplace. All right, it's time to get back into it today with Eric Henry, who is a longtime sustainability and social entrepreneur here in North Carolina. Um, his, his company, TS Designs, makes sustainable um, apparel, including T-shirts. And we had a great first half of the discussion. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that, um, hit pause, go back, um, listen to the first part. Um, it was really enlightening and honestly inspiring to see someone take something um, that was so detrimental to so many people and create something so beautiful, so sustainable, and so long-lastingly um, positive um, out of it. And so make sure to go back and listen to Eric Henry's uh, story in part one. Um, what we're going to get into here today on part two is a topic that I think is really important whenever we talk about something like social entrepreneurship. Um, and that's this underlying assumption that I think exists in our business world and in our um, economy that Kevin Jones, a recent guest, called two-pocket thinking, where he said, hey, the dominant thinking is that I've got one pocket where I need to make all my money, and that's where my business goes, and that's where my investments go. And then in the other pocket, I'm going to give a little bit of that back in charity and in some other things like that. Um, but he said that we can actually eliminate that kind of thinking and realize that our businesses, our investments, and our um, the work that we do on the for-profit side of things can actually be good for the world. We had on another sustainability um, entrepreneur, Gilly um, Anderson from Ware Asheville, where she said that to her, the only reason nonprofits exist is because businesses and governments aren't doing their job. And Eric Henry's business is definitely definitely doing its job. We talked a lot about transparency in their supply chain. And what I want to get into with you, Eric, on, and Eric, thanks. Welcome back to the show. Appreciate having you on. Um, Thank you. Glad to be back. Yeah. What I want to get in with you here today is that, you know, I think a lot of times people think of a business that's dedicated to sustainability and dedicated to, you know, all the things that you talked about that are good for the earth, good for the people, um, that sort of triple bottom line business where we're talking about not just profit, but profit, people, and planet. A lot of times people think it's just about being a do-gooder. Um, and it's just about kind of, you know, having some high-minded ideals and that it's not really practical and that it doesn't actually make good business sense to do that. But it seems like you've really proven that wrong. Um, I don't know. What, what, are, what are your thoughts on that idea? Do you think it's actually better business for you in the long run? to have a triple bottom line focus? Oh, very much so, because I said earlier when we started our business back in 1978, you know, this is pre-internet, pre-cell phone, pre-fax machine, you know, life and business was a lot simpler. We fast forward to today, the world is a super complicated place, and there's not one person has the answers. Answers lie within your community. So if you have a more connected, supportive community, then that makes you more resilient and able to 
fight these challenges. I mean, we're, you know, it's just amazing the things we're due, but it's not due to one person. It's due to the connection of all these people that, again, have this mindset of uh, not just personal uh, financial benefit, but how does it in, impact the community? And another thing I like to say too, Joel, that we're a big fan of is that, you know, every day we have a choice. The clothes we wear, the energy we use, the food we eat. The choices that we, you know, first of all, be aware of those choices. And by those making those choices, you will be more connected uh, to the community that supports those values. So, I mean, the we used to call it roll decks, so I don't call it that anymore. But yeah. that those people that are that are my, you know, people I've known for 20, 30 years uh, are so valuable um, in, in keeping our business moving forward. So um, I think it's more, you know, and the good thing, too. You know, in the world of a global economy, which is usually driven by who can give you the cheapest PO, there's no relationship. There's a relationship built on price. Mm-hmm. And, and price is a very fragile thing because there's always going to be somebody who's going to do it cheaper. But, you know, when we have a relationship with a cotton farmer for over 17 years, dealing in the commodity market, which right now it's horrible for them. For You know, they get like 80 cents a pound. That's not even the cost. But... We have a relationship of trust and values that go back years. So we've not even determined what we're going to pay for our cotton this year, what kind of prices, because I feel like we can sit down at the end of the season, which will probably be the next uh, couple weeks or so, and we'll, we'll hammer out what, what we need. You know, I need them to stay in business, but they also need to, for me to stay in business. But again, it's, it's the relationships. I think that's what excites me for somebody that recently turned 66, been in this industry for 44 years. It's those people that are in this community that share our values. And because of that relationship, we're able to build a company and actually move forward with a lot of things that we want to do to continue to be a better company. Yeah, you um, so you, you've made some really good points, I think, that kind of question, you know, some of those underlying assumptions about how, you know, keeping your supply chain local isn't just about, you know, feel good stuff. It's it's about you know, not being so dependent on the global markets. It's about not being so dependent on the ups and downs and the booms and busts that you can't really control. And it's also really about, like you said, having a reciprocal relationship with your suppliers, having a reciprocal relationship with your customers. And so I think we've done a really good job of hitting on how this affects, you know, how this, how that, that emphasis on transparency and local supply chains is actually good for business. I'm also curious too, curious too, what effect does all of this end up having on the quality of the product? Well, we realized, again, we're not going to be a low-cost producer. So how do we bring a product that has higher quality, uh, less impact? And now we're talking about, with the apparel, what happens at the end of life. I'll, I'll throw some scary facts out there. Uh, first of all, with the apparel industry today, 30% of clothes manufactured never make it to retail. Uh, there's, I use an image in one of my presentations of a pile of clothes taken from a satellite that the pile of clothes is bigger than the town it sits beside in a desert in Chile. So this is where we've done with that race to make it cheaper. We just make it hoping you'll buy it. And if you don't, we'll dump it. So you've got wow. that whole uh, issue of uh, fast fashion, which is not fast because it takes a long time to get it here. But again, we want we want to make and again we're realizing the things that we realized when when NAFTA broke this industry, the race to the bottom, 
the race to cheap, the race to disposable. Um, that bill's coming due. And, um, you know, we're focused on, you know, how do we make a, a higher quality product that lasts longer? And then we want to make a product that is easier to, as you talked about, again, with what uh, Molly's doing up there, Industrial Commons, how do we make it easy to recycle? Uh, because a lot of apparel we make today is very difficult because they mix synthetics with natural fiber. We're only natural fiber focused. We basically got out mm -hmm. of synthetics seven or eight years ago and learned about microplastics. Didn't know anything about it. Now we know about it. We don't do anything with it. So we're constantly learning um, how do we make a product that has better quality and better impact. But it, and I might have said it earlier, is I believe sustainability is a journey, not a destination. So we're never going to get to 100% sustainable product. But I do believe every year we make a higher quality, more sustainable product. Uh, we just switched a little ink system that goes in the back of a shirt. What the system, the industry used in general is a solvent-based system. A Germany company reached out to us due to our values, spent two days in our facility this year with a water-based system that basically uh, addresses those with volatile organic compounds. And... Um, you know, because of not because we're going to buy a lot of this ink, it's because our value set. And now we've taken that one little part of our business and we made it one step better without sacrificing quality. Because we always, again, I want to say, Joe, is that when we look at new process, new technology, and we look at the lens of the people and planet, we're not going to take a step back in quality. So we're not going to say, OK, you get this greener product, but it won't last as long. It's got to last at least the same amount or if not better to move forward that makes well, sense and if you're and if and it would make sense that it would have to last longer um because then you're you're not wasting and rebuying all the time uh gilly when she talked about this she actually said that you know when you think about that it was so fascinating to me she talked about how when you think about the lint trap in your dryer right like you know a lot of us it's it's more convenient to throw the, the clothes in the dryer than to hang right. them outside or to you yep. know, put them in the sunshine or anything like that but the lint in your dryer is actually your clothes. It's actually slowly just breaking apart and deteriorating your clothing, which means that you have to then buy more, more often, and you have to constantly be throwing more in the trash, aside from the fact of what you just said, which blew my mind, which is that you said 30% of this apparel just ends up in a dump somewhere, doesn't even actually right. end up worn by anybody. And I remember when I first bought my first good pair of boots, you know, <laughs> I, I was like, and it was, it was a big price for me at that time. It was a couple hundred dollars to like buy some Red Wings. And I was like, but what I realized was I've had that same pair of boots for 15, 18 years now, and I've never had to rebuy them. And if I bought the cheaper version over the long haul, I'm actually going to be spending more money because it's, it's not something that's going to last. And so if you're making products that are more quality in general, or you're buying products that are more quality in general, it actually makes financial sense to buy quality that's going to last. And as you said, it's going to be better for the planet and it's going to be better for our, our you know, um, supply chains and ecosystems because we're not going to be constantly having that turnover of low quality um, apparel in this case. Um, I, I also am curious too, like what effect... Um, this triple bottom line focus for you has had on your customers, specifically, you know, return customers. Well, again, when we decided to not go overseas and focus on the resources and the supply chain here, 
in the U.S. when NAFTA rolled in. You know, a lot of people says, you know, that's you may, they wrote the apparel industry off. They says, you know, you need to either go overseas or go out of business, which a lot of unfortunate companies did go out of business. Um, but we realized then that, you know, um, it, it was a, it was a hard sale because a lot of people, you know, you go to them talk about the Carolina cotton or U.S. made and and all they were seeing that it's more expensive. Fast forward to today, as I like to say, it's not that our product is more expensive. It's what you're buying is not priced properly. You know, the the when you go global for price and you neglect people and planet, that bill's coming due now. So I would like to say, you know, I will compete with anybody in the world. You just can't bring price to the table. And so fast forward to today, the the um, the topic of triple bottom line and uh, is is a more um, uh, more people, you know, that's in conversation a lot more than it was 30 years ago. And so at the end of the day, we have hundreds and hundreds of customers. TS Designs is business to business. Um, but I would say pretty much all of those customers see some value beyond price. It could be where it's made, how it's made, the quality, the community, whatever. There's you know, and again, there's still a lot of cheap t-shirts out there. Go to your Dollar General store and buy, you know, something made overseas, not going to last very long. That's not our market. Um, and it's kind of, again, I could go back to climate change is if I have a cut and that's my biggest part of the job is to qualify the customer. If you come in, Joe says, I'm just, I got this big order, but I need the cheapest possible price, the lowest possible price. And that's all your folks that said, Joe, that's not us. Uh, you go see, you know, this company here, this company, they'll be glad to help you. But if you come to that door and you, you care about, and it could be one of those things, where it's made, how it's made, who made it, um, any of those things, local, whatever, we can at least have a conversation and we have options. And so it makes it a lot easier to have those conversations. And I did want to point out, too, during COVID, back to TS Signs being business to business, we launched a direct consumer brand called Solid State Clothing. And the reason we launched that is, and I wish I would have did this 20 years ago, is we wanted a platform as we continue to move forward with our building the best off a of triple bottom line is we need this R&D that we're able to uh, go directly to the customer, get their support, start small scale. Sometimes it doesn't work, sometimes it does, but we're able to get that support instead of going, you know, in a B2B and I'm selling to you and then you market however you want to market. Uh, and that's been very successful for us because one thing we did during COVID getting off subject again too is again we're addressing the the third pillar which is again we're, we're natural fiber focused mainly cotton soon to be hemp we're believing domestic manufacturing much in north carolina but now we're looking at how our textiles are dyed overwhelming 99.9 percent uses synthetic dyes that are driven by derived from fossil fuels that are imported so again, and that's probably 90% of our business, but we are starting to do a deep dive into commercializing uh, natural dyes, focusing mm -hmm. on natural dyes that we can source the agriculture product here in the U.S. and not just bring the dye extract from overseas. It might be natural, but I don't want to ship a natural dye material from India to dye here. I want to be able to grow it here. And so we're yeah. really doing a lot of work in that area, starting with COVID. 
That's that. There's so many little things that you don't think of when it comes to all of these little tiny things in the supply chain. It reminds me of Matt Stoller's book, um, Goliath, where he talks about how all of these little tiny little pieces of the supply chains, not only are they oftentimes, you know, like you're talking about unsustainable, but often they're monopolized. And so, um, you know, it, it's just crazy how much there is to it. I guess if you were to zoom back out, and I want to dig in with you. I want to keep digging in with you on, on, on some of the stuff that we were on here. But what would you say is the, the biggest thing that needs to change in the fashion and apparel industry? Oh, pretty simple. We got to stop making so much clothes. I mean, as I said earlier, 30% of the clothes are manufactured and make it retail. So while we support organic cotton, recycled polyester, natural, all goods, we got to stop making so much stuff. But the reason we make so much stuff is the apparel industry has got to make it overseas and it takes so long to get here. And fashion apparel, um, you know, changes, you know, colors change, looks change. So literally somebody's sitting in an office somewhere trying to figure out what you're going to wear a year from now and they go make a bunch of it. And so uh, our whole focus and what we've been working on for the last year or so is I think it will radically change the industry where we want to make what you want when you want it. Uh, address speed to market, address transparency, but the number one, stop making so much stuff because when you, you know, if you just, all things equal, if you make 30% less, look at all the impact you'll have to energy, to water, to carbon. And again, we'll work on technology that will make that even better. But our whole focus is um, in addressing that because, again, as I said earlier, those clothes are sitting out in that desert in Chile. Right now, the industry, uh, other than dumping it, is not paying the price. And again, going back to climate change, that cost of carbon every day we wait only gets more expensive, doesn't go away. The same thing with dumping those clothes. And it, Europe is a lot further ahead with addressing this waste than we are in the U.S. And regulation is kind of tough and and up in Washington these days. But I can tell you, the consumer, especially the younger consumer, starting to ask those hard questions: where it's made, how it's made. And I'm not interested in changing my wardrobe every week. And so uh, there's a growing pressure. But I do, as I said earlier, the brands are so enamored with making overseas. I think the opportunity of some new technologies that we're working on and aligning the supply chain differently will have. uh, And again, give the consumer yourself choice. But again, give a choice when you want it. So if you want orange next week, you'll have orange next week. And not try to guess orange six months in advance, and then everybody's off the pink. Um, so we want color comes your. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, I just it, it sounds like what you're talking about is bringing all of the necessary elements to provide a quality and a high level, a quality product and a high level of service to customers back closer, back more yes. local. Is that what you mean when you? Because you you wrote about this. You said you, you called it reshoring. Is this what you mean? Right. Yes. Yes, but what we want to do, and it is, well, I mean, we never left, but we want the industry to reshore. But, but, but the idea of reshoring, it, it, you know, it's kind of the catchy and, you know, it might be patriotic, I want to say, but we want, to be, we want to bring reshoring with impact, which means making less, making what you want, making product that's easy to, back to the circular economy, to recycle or to reuse. So uh, there's a lot of bring other values so it's just not um, – and as I said earlier, it's not that our T-shirts 
cost too much. It's you're not paying for that T-shirt that's sitting out in that desert. That mm -hmm. let's start talking about that cost and re and reflect that back in the other T-shirts that company is selling. So, um, and again, it's just bringing all those impacts to the table. Back to the transparency. You know, we got to. Um, I won't embarrass the brand here, but that's part of the issue with the apparel industry too. Is I think there's over 100 certifications uh, in the apparel industry. You know, things like you know recycled polyester and organic cotton. Mm -hmm. There was a a a international brand that came out with a carbon negative hoodie. Good job, carbon negative. And there was nothing wrong with that. They gave on it. But what they didn't tell you, it was 100% recycled polyester. So every time you wash that mm -hmm. thing, it sheds microplastics like crazy. Right. So uh, you know, how can the brands how can, a lot of times use... Go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to ask, how can a, a consumer, let's say... How can they kind of suss out what's greenwashing and what's real? I think, Joe, it goes back to what I said earlier. You know, whatever brand you support, Nike, Tommy, Gap, Paul, there's a zillion brands out there. I think the first step is to, if a brand truly wants your business and truly wants, they need to make their supply chain transparent. Give you the key to that supply chain so it allows you as a consumer to investigate as far as you want to investigate. And you can ask those questions and not just get thrown up, you know, marketing greenwashing or these certifications. Because I think once you get into a supply chain, and again, most of it will be global. I have no problem with the global economy. I just think the consumer needs to have access. At least they can do some investigating work themselves and not depend on the brand pumping out this marketing to make them feel good about wearing it. Yeah, because there's a lot of stuff, like you said earlier, with, you know, certain large companies where they put those labels on it that make that makes you feel yep. good. But when you actually dig into it, it's like, yeah, that's that's not really um, what it is. So lastly here, I just want to know how, um, how how can people connect with you and your business moving forward, whether they can follow the things you write and talk about or they can um, start doing business with you in your apparel in, uh, in with TS Designs. Probably the first step is our website, TS Designs. T is a Tom, S is Sam, designs, D-E-S-I-G-N-S dot -S com. I'm Eric, E-R-I-C, at tsdesigns.com. We're based in Burlington, North Carolina. Please stop by. We'd love to give you a tour, show we do here. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. You can find me there, too. Uh, but again, it's a, it, it takes a community, and I appreciate people like you, that are reaching out and, and giving those deep dives because we talked earlier. I mean, I think a lot of the people that you had on your show are, are friends or allies or associates, the Michael Schumans of the world. And again, mm -hmm. I would not be here without those people and the work that you do because at the end of the day, we like to say too, an, an educated customer is our best customer. So it's, it's right. services like you do here to kind of connect those people and, and just please come visit us or check us out online or send me an email or whatever. And uh, we would love to connect and, and continue the conversation. Love it. Love that community focus. As I often say, we are each other. So listen to this episode and all the others on um, my website, mindfulmarketplaceshow.com. Um, and also check out the YouTube, the Spotify, iTunes, all that. And please check out bizradio.us. We are all entrepreneurs all the time. We are the only independent business talk show that I know of, honestly. So um, check out bizradio.us. And until next time, take care of yourself and take care of someone else. Cool. 
Thank you for listening. If you liked what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to visit bizradio.us to find hundreds of other engaging conversations, local events, and more.